0: Ready to keep you company wherever you are, Carte Blanche the podcast brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week.
1: It's the start of a brand new week, and with it comes a brand new episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Here's what's coming your way. As government pushes ahead with its car power ship plans... Potential funders are getting cold feet. Business maverick journalist Ray Matlaka explains why. Then it's the peace mission everyone's talking about. But beyond the chaos, we ask, what did the African delegation actually discuss? And it's a win-win-win in the fight against fraud and corruption.
0: I think a lot of companies will think twice about missing red flags going forward because there is now huge financial uh, consequences if there is wrongdoing.
1: Join us as we get you up to speed on the latest news. So you're the car powership go-to guy, and I've been itching to chat about this controversial deal for some time. Clearly, government is extremely eager to get this whole thing off the ground, but financial backers are now, well, you know, backing out. So why are banks and other big players so weary of the project?
0: I mean, we first had APSA really backing the car powership or or showing a willingness to back uh, the car powership project uh, back in 2021 when the government finally selected a car powership as a source of emergency energy. Then we have DBSA, the Development Bank of Southern Africa, which is a state-owned development bank. And also we've had Standard Bank also showing an interest in in, in financing car partnerships. But many of these banks are now pulling away from wanting to be part of car partnership. Presumably they're backing out because the deal has been controversial since 2021. I mean, the deal has been marred by corruption allegations and that taxpayers will be paying a lot of money to to find us the deal about 200 billion rand over a 20-year period. There's also environmental concerns uh, around the deal and it being negatively impacting the, the environment and uh, it potentially emitting greenhouse gases and causing noise pollution. So it's really on the back of those concerns that we're now seeing banks becoming nervous and they're also waiting for the government to determine whether car partnership will be on board for five or 20 years. So there's still a lot of outstanding questions around this deal.
1: Does that even- make financial sense from a feasibility perspective I mean cutting it down to 5 years considering the setup costs that go into this
0: not for car partnership um, they initially agreed for a 20 year period for for the contract and in the first three years, assuming that the government finally accepts car partnership, for the first three years, car partnership will not be making any money out of this contract. But after year three, then they'll start making, you know, a few millions. So a five-year period for car partnership won't make sense, financial sense for car partnership because it, it is really hoping for a 20-year-long period so you can make a lot of money, you know, beyond year three.
1: I read somewhere as well that just in terms of recuperating that investment will take decades. So, I mean, a five-year contract really is just, it sounds absolutely farcical if you if you really look at it. You know,
0: over 20-year period, a car partnership has projected... That it'll make about 70 billion Rand in terms of profits from the contract alone. But mm. you know, if, if the government opts for a five-year period, then you know those profits that car powership expects, they really hang in the balance.
1: And I mean, it's undeniable you know, that, that South Africa needs a fix for the worsening energy crisis. But is car powership the only option? I mean, what else can we really do? Not
0: at all. I mean, you, you are starting to see the government uh, embracing renewable energy as part of its energy mix. Um, South Africa in recent years has become a formidable solar energy provider. We are seeing that there is a lot of interest in South Africa, you know, from renewable energy players to really provide power to the government. I mean, after all, South Africa is is rich in sunshine and you are seeing a lot of uh, solar energy players coming on board. And also solar is quite cheap versus coal as well. I mean, Eskim's current price to produce electricity, mainly from coal sources, is around uh, 2.50 per kilowatt hour, whereas so solar is coming in at 49 cents. So it really makes sense for South Africa to embrace cheaper renewable energy sources.
1: Mm. Coal is king in South Africa. I mean, it's it's you have entire communities relying on coal. So it's not as simple as just saying, oh, we need to make this green transition as soon as possible because you have livelihoods and entire economies relying on coal. I think the the next big conversation is just making a, a just or a fair transition, you know, within the next 10 years. Because, I mean, we have our greenhouse gas emission targets and they're creeping ever closer. So I mean, it's something that needs to happen. It's
0: just how is it going to happen, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about communities that depend on coal. Bumalanga is one of them. I mean, that's where, uh, you know, ISKCOM's coal operations and the coal industry is largely based and employs, uh, you know, a lot of people. So they call it a just energy transition because you want to move into renewables without really disturbing jobs and the livelihoods of many communities. But the world is moving to renewable energy. That's that's a fact we cannot dispute, and the world is prepared to support South Africa in its move to renewable energy sources. A developed nations such as the U.S., you know, the U.K. and France have already pledged about eight point five billion US dollars to help finance South Africa's move uh, into cleaner and renewable energy sources over the next three to five years. But there is a plan for South Africa to extend the life cycle of coal-fired power stations. And in doing so, we might breach the commitments we've made to the world in terms of reducing our greenhouse uh, gas emissions. So this is quite a, uh, it's a difficult conversation, you know, Lizanne, to have. Do you balance so that Africa's move to renewable energy at the expense of communities, unbereft of ideas, to be honest.
1: Yeah, certainly. It's it's something that I, I think we're going to see a lot more of um, in terms of conversations, debates, and hopefully communities will be drawn into these conversations as well. Because, I mean, th- those are the ones that will feel it the most.
0: Indeed. I mean, that's, this is why I think the government is really having a tough time to make a decision about moving into renewable energy, because there are so many stakeholders involved in the, in the coal supply chain.
1: It was all eyes on President Cyril Ramaphosa as he set off on his highly anticipated peace mission to Ukraine and Russia. But the focus soon shifted to the plane, carrying 120 security personnel and several journalists as they found themselves trapped on the tarmac at a Polish airport. But peace talks continued nonetheless, and we look at some of the talking points that matter. So moving on to our next one, and this is another big one. You know, it's been making headlines the whole week, and it's that shambolic peace mission to Ukraine and Russia. By now, it's been analyzed by everyone you know, and a lot more juicy details will certainly come to light in days to come. But I want us to focus on the discussions that happened between the African delegation and the various heads of state. Um, I understand food security was top of the list. Uh, Could you explain why that's such an important issue for Africa within the context of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, when the war
0: started early last year, it, it really disturbed, we call them um, supply chains. So the invasion of Russia into Ukraine has led to higher oil and grain prices. As Labrika is not isolated, the world is connected. We import oil and grain, which is further refined into wheat and uh, maize meal as well. So, so the prices of those raw materials really shot up, you know, since February last year. And that has led to food price increases, you know, in items such as bread and maize meal. I mean, uh, the price of maize meal alone has increased by 29% since last year. The price of samp has increased by about 27%. Fruits and vegetables are now 30% more expensive. So the war has really made the importing of oil and grain more expensive, and South Africa has really felt that. You, the motorist, you've also felt that uh, through p- uh, petrol price increases, which have been quite substantial since last year. Why has petrol prices increased? Well, we import oil, which is been then refined into petrol and diesel, and the price of importing that oil alone has shot up quite substantially. So we are not isolated From the impact of the war. And as food prices increase, that really threatens food security because many households cannot afford food or food is becoming more expensive. So that delegation really was uh, aimed at, you know, ending the war and really relieving food prices and, and easing the food shortages as well.
1: And then just in terms of other topics that may have been discussed, what do you expect to materialise from these conversations that happened? Well, food, I think
0: Lausanne was one of them. But, you know, so Africa's relationship with Russia, I think that was also were part of the, the discussion. Remember in August, South Africa will host the BRICS, summit. Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, is expected to attend the summit in August in South Africa, but the International Criminal Court um, has really placed South Africa in a, in a pickle. We have to arrest Putin when he lands in South Africa, or if he lands in South Africa in August. So so I think part of the fringe discussions was also how to handle um, you know, the BRIC summit and whether Vladimir Putin will be able to attend, and really whether South Africa will have to arrest him uh, if he does land in South Africa.
1: Yeah, and then, I mean, everyone has an opinion on whether this messed up <laughs> peace <laughs> mission hasn't worth the money spent. What is your opinion on, on this whole trip? Well,
0: peace talks are very complex and layered by nature and I, I don't think you can judge, it's very difficult to assess whether this peace talk delegation has been successful or not. I think the jury is still out are on this and I'm a bit also confused about, you know, how do you measure success uh, when it comes to these discussions? So I'm, I'm very conflicted, to be honest.
1: I'm also a bit, I'm not quite sure where to place it, whether it was successful, whether it was shambolic, whether it's something in the middle, and I guess we'll only find out in the weeks and months to come. Indeed, huh? <laughs> could new amendments to the Auditing Profession Act change the auditing sector for the better? Ray believes it could. Then, more charges in the dodgy 150 million rand digital vibe scandal as another high-ranking official is formally charged. And the Johannesburg Roads Agency boss is given the boot after misrepresenting his experience and qualifications. So onto my favorite part of the show, and it's our green shoot section. And our first story really has such far-reaching implications for our country. Last week, government approved amendments to the Auditing Profession Act, which upped the maximum monetary fines for dodgy auditors and auditing firms from 200,000 to a staggering 25 million rands. So tell us why everyone should care about this. Well,
0: over the past few years, we've had many accounting scandals. There was Steinhoff, there was Tongaat Hewlett, there was VBS, there was African Bank, and many, many, many others. And in those Cases Auditors who are responsible for the financial books of those companies, they dropped the ball. They missed many red flags. And in in some cases, they they said the financial statements were kosher, everything was fine. But we know very much that many things were not fine at Steinhoff or Plongart Hewlett and and many others. Under the previous regime, individual auditors and audit firms could be fined up to 200,000 Rand if they were found guilty of misconduct and if they missed red flags in many of their audit procedures. Now, 200,000 Rand, it was seen as a slap on the wrist uh, kind of fine because many of these audit firms have a lot of money they could easily pay off 200,000 Rand and move on. But over the past few years, there has been a greater call to really increase those fines to deter misconduct or acts of misconduct. Now the fines have been bumped up to about 2.5 uh, a million rand for individual auditors. So that has been designed or made to deter any acts of misconduct because, you know, the consequences would be too large. You know, they come in a, in a, in a financial form. So that's really the, the history with this. Whether we will see lesser acts of misconduct, I think is yet to be seen. The, the auditing industry is still processing the implications of increasing such fines.
1: Do you think that this latest amendment could bring the an industry back into line eventually? A lot of people
0: are still debating whether you know such, such fines will have a chilling impact uh, on the auditing profession. And I think also the unintended consequences is that it might actually deter people from taking up the auditing profession because of the major sanctions if you do make a huge mistake. But I think a lot of companies will think twice about missing red flags going forward because there is now huge financial uh, consequences if there is wrongdoing.
1: I really hope it deters them and actually kind of pushes them to do things the right way again because, I mean, the auditing sector certainly hasn't walked away from state capture squeaky clean.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. And also South Africa's auditing standards and auditing industry was ranked quite high many years ago. In fact, we were revered. But um, those auditing scandals... Have really lowest backest position in terms of auditing standards globally. Mm.
1: And then we have to quickly touch on two other positive developments. Firstly, we're seeing some results from the Digital Vibes tender fraud matter as the Department of Health Communications Director, Popo Maja, appeared in court on corruption charges. It's alleged he paid two bribes of about 15,000 rands during the bidding process. And then we also saw the fake doctor at the JRA getting the boots after Daily Maverick revealed he allegedly (laughs) bought his honorary doctorate. So overall, a win for truth. And justice this week?
0: Indeed. And, you know, as journalists or media practitioners, we, we want our work to have impact and lead to change a change or, or justice. I know Carte Blanche has many moments of its work having impact and change for good. But, you know, in South Africa, we don't see justice often come through. we see a lot of, you know, wrongdoers getting away with skullduggery. But it's, it's really nice to see that there are moments of good justice um, happening. And, you know, our work as journalists uh, leading to Change, such as you know, in the case of Digital Vibes and the Johannesburg Road Road Agency, a uh, former boss, uh, uh, Tapper. Uh, uh, Mahokoane, who faked his qualifications and also forced people to call him doctor when he actually wasn't a doctor
1: (laughs) yeah no definitely well done on on exposing that thank you I
0: mean in digital vibes I mean only you know the former health minister has really faced consequences and to see more people actually being held accountable I think that's a good thing eh?
1: definitely that's what we want we want accountability and we definitely want more of it indeed Well, thank you so much, Ray. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you. I'm so happy we finally got into Car Power because it's such a, a hot topic and everyone wants to understand it. So thank you so much. Thank Thanks you so much, Shane. Have a lovely week further. You too, Lazan. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on carte blanche, the podcast available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms.